Well, I don't know about you, but I have always enjoyed stories that give you a great twist, you know, a real surprise at the end. You know, whether it's a great book or a, or a movie or a TV series, you know, and, and you, you go through the whole storyline and at the very end there's this, this just twist that throws you for this great loop and you think, wow, man, that was amazing. My, uh, my daughter Addie and I have been catching up on some of the Marvel Avengers movies recently. Uh, you know, the, the big Endgame movie is out right now, and, and so she's been hearing all of her friends talking about that. She wants to go see it. And so I said, well, Addie, there's like 20 years of movies that you got to catch up on to, to understand what, what's going on in uh, the Avengers Endgame. So we've been watching some of those Avengers movies together, and it was really interesting. Just uh, last weekend, we finally got to uh, Infinity War which is the second to the last of the Avengers movies. And uh, it's already been out for a few years, so, so it's a little bit of a spoiler here, but hopefully it won't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. But, but the way the movie ends, at the very end of the movie, the, the great universal villain Thanos basically wipes out half of the population of the universe. Uh, he, 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 he snaps his fingers, uses this ultimate power that he's achieved, and 50% of the earth is gone in an instant, just evaporates into dust. And, and, and that includes many of the great heroes that some of us have grown up to love, uh, if you've been a comic fan for, for your lifetime. Uh, you know, Spider-Man, just poof, gone in an instant. And all these great heroes. And, and my daughter, Addie, you know, we had watched this whole movie. It's like two and a half hours long. And that's how the movie ends. And she's like, what? That's a horrible ending. They're, they're all gone? They, they all died? That's how it ends? And, uh, and then she's like, thinking about it for a minute, she's like, wait a minute. No more Spider-Man movies? And it was a great twist that nobody saw coming. I mean, some of the greatest superheroes just, just gone. And that's how the movie ends. Well, they certainly left you hanging to see what happens in Avengers Endgame. By the way, let me tell you how that one ends. No, I'm, I'll save it for you if you haven't seen that one. But it's interesting, stories like that, how they grip us, capture our attention. And today, as we bring our series in the book of Acts to an end, Acts chapters 1 through the beginning of chapter 11, we're going to see how Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, really gives us this incredible twist here in the plot line of the gospel revolution. As Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins, he was buried, he rose victoriously from the grave, he empowered his church with the Holy Spirit, he sent us on this mission to go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel. We are all part of this revolution that began 2,000 years ago with our brothers and sisters in the early church. And so we've been watching, looking, studying the last couple months here uh, how the early church began the advance of the gospel 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. But, but in the Jewish Christian mind of 2,000 years ago, they didn't anticipate what that fully meant. You see, 2,000 years ago, the world, according to God's people, was divided into two categories. You had Jews who were part of God's family, and you had everybody else. And everybody else were known as Gentiles. This was the pagan world. These were the people who didn't follow God, who didn't live for God, didn't honor God. And the Jews looked down on the Gentiles as being unclean, unworthy, impure, not having any place, any part in God's family. And so the Jews held this, this elitism, if you will, when they looked at the rest of the world because they were God's chosen people. 
But what we're going to see this morning is how the gospel revolution threw an incredible curveball at the Jewish Christians in the early church. Because what we're going to see this morning is God's going to make very clear to his people that the good news, the message of the gospel is for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. In fact, the reason we are here today, all right, if you're here today and you are not of Jewish ancestry, you are all Gentiles who have been adopted into God's family, and it all began with the story that we're going to look at this morning. So this is a powerful passage about how the gospel revolution really came to its culmination, its full fulfillment in reaching out to all people of the world. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 this morning, starting in verse 9. Last week, if you recall, we saw Peter, and uh, Peter was performing a number of miracles, and we were introduced to a man named Cornelius, who was a God-fearing Gentile. That means he wasn't part of God's family, but he was a pagan Gentile, a Roman citizen, but he had a great reverence for the God of Israel. He had a great respect for what God had done amongst the Jewish people, and God appeared through an angelic messenger to Cornelius and told Cornelius to send for a man named Peter who would come to him and tell him the news he needed to hear in order to become uh, a part of God's family, in order to experience full salvation. Well, that's where our passage picks up this morning. We're going to look at God's salvation plan and the reality of how it truly was a, a gospel revolution. And we're going to see three scenes in our passage this morning. The first scene we're going to see this morning is a shockingly savory sight. A shockingly savory sight. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9, we're going to read through verse 16 as we begin this morning. You can follow along on the screens behind me or in your own Bibles. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Remember, Cornelius had sent messengers to Joppa looking for Peter. So as they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once into heaven. Now our passage this morning begins with this really, really curious scene for Peter. Right? Peter is up on the housetop where he's staying, and he's, he's spending time in prayer prior to lunch. And, and like I know none of you can relate to, as his stomach is growling, as he's hungry, as he's thinking about the meal to come, Peter falls into a trance. In, in other words, he has this vision, and he sees the heavens opened. Friends, whenever the Bible describes the heavens being opened, it, it, it's a symbol of a divine message that's about to take place. And so Peter sees the heavens open, and, and descending from the heavens is what looks like this large sheet. And inside this large sheet are all kinds of different animals, all kinds of different creatures. 
animals that would have been considered kosher and, and clean and acceptable to the Jews to eat, but also animals that the Jews would have nothing to do with. Animals that only pagans would kill and eat. But the voice from heaven says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says in verse 14, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Those words common and unclean were, were the words that Jews would use to, to apply to, to non-kosher food items. Food items that were outside of God's law. They were, they were impure. They were common. They were unclean. And Peter, he was a good Jewish boy, right? I mean, he had never touched anything unclean. He had followed the Old Testament dietary laws faithfully. He grew up. He grew up learning the stories of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and these great heroes of the faith. Why were they heroes? Because they refused to eat the king's food in Babylon. Remember those stories? And so the Jews looked to these guys as heroes. And Peter grew up looking to these guys as heroes. I would never eat anything impure. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to be faithful to the law that God has given us. God gave the law, and in Leviticus chapter 11, God spells out in detail the foods that were appropriate for his people to eat. At the end of chapter 11, after going through these specific details, Leviticus sums up in the law, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean. And between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. See, God had given his people these very clear dietary restrictions, food laws that he wanted his people to follow. Now, some people look at some of these laws in the Old Testament, even these dietary laws, and they go through these lists of what you can eat, what you can't eat. And, and we think today, wow, that's so weird. Why, why would he do that? What was the point of these laws? But friends, understand this. There, there were very important reasons for the laws God gave the people of Israel. In fact, there were two specific reasons for the food laws that God gave Israel in the Old Testament. The, the first of these reasons was simply a matter of health. He gave them these food laws and these dietary restrictions for their health, for their well-being. Remember, the, the nation of Israel, when the laws were given, they were wandering in the wilderness and so God was trying to protect and preserve his people by shepherding them in a direction that would lead to their ultimate health and well-being. Why was he concerned about that? Because God had promised that through the Jewish nation, the Messiah would come. And so God desired to protect and preserve his people to ultimately protect and preserve the lineage from which the Messiah, Jesus, would ultimately come. So these were just basic dietary food laws that were given for their health. What's really interesting is, is modern-day science has looked at some of the food restrictions that God gave in the Old Testament. And even modern-day science, doctors, dietitians will tell you that, that there was great wisdom in the food laws that God gave the people of Israel to protect and preserve their health. I, in fact, I've got a friend, uh, Dr. Greg Johnson. He's a biology professor at Bethel University. And I remember he, he's given a famous lecture over the years where he talks about the different dietary laws God gave the people of Israel and how very specifically they have really positive, tangible health benefits. 
In more recent years, some of you may have heard of Pastor Rick Warren out in California. He wrote a famous book a few years ago called The Daniel Plan, right? What was the Daniel Plan about? It was a diet plan based on God's food laws given in the Old Testament. So there were good health reasons. But secondly, and most importantly, the reason why God gave these health, these dietary laws to the people of Israel was for a spiritual reason. And the spiritual reason was this. God was seeking to create a people who were distinct and set apart from the world. He wanted to separate the Jewish nation from all other nations in the world. And one of the ways that he did that was by giving them differences in their diet and a whole host of other laws, but the dietary laws were some of the most obvious. And the purpose for these laws was to bear witness to God's holiness, but also to testify to God's grace. See, the, the Jewish people were meant to be like, like a missionary people in the world. They were supposed to point through, through their following of God's law to, to his holiness but also to the reality that he's a God of grace and mercy and love. And so God gave these laws for a reason. And so we find Peter here. Peter's thinking, look at, kill and eat. Is God testing me? I mean, maybe God's testing me. Well, God, no, by no means would I ever kill and eat those things. I'm a faithful Jew. I've, I've followed your laws my whole life. And so Peter, at first, refused the message of this vision. Now, I want you to understand, when you think about these dietary laws that we find in the Old Testament, it's important that we recognize today that these laws, okay, Leviticus 11 and other places in the Old Testament where we find these dietary laws, the laws in and of themselves weren't bad, okay? They weren't bad, but sadly, what had taken place is that Jewish tradition had ultimately perverted God's intentions for these laws, the food laws and the other, ter other laws that we find in the Old Testament. Jewish tradition perverted God's intentions and, and ultimately turned the law God had given them into a symbol of pride and an excuse for segregation and prejudice. So in other words, we keep the law, we have the law, we're God's special people, the law is the mark of our special status, and, and we're better than all the rest of you who don't keep these laws. That was the attitude that was prevalent in the Jewish faith at the time of Christ, at the time of Peter in the early church. And what had taken place is, is by the time of the early church, these Jewish Christians had basically adopted this same prejudicial attitude. Yes, we know Jesus, we know the Messiah, but we are still set apart. We're still distinct and different from these Gentiles. And so in the early church, a faithful Jew or a faithful Jewish Christian would never associate with a Gentile. And this is why Peter was so shocked by what he saw in this vision. This prejudicial attitude was still present at the time of the early church. And God needed to correct this. God needed to strike this at the root, to, to pull it out by the root, because this prejudicial attitude would have hindered the advancement of the gospel to the whole world had the Jewish Christians continued to hold this prejudice against the Gentiles. Remember, we looked a couple weeks ago at John 3.16, where Jesus said, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever 
believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Remember, we talked about the significance of the word whoever. The gospel was given for whoever, Jews and Gentiles alike. But, but friends, if the church harbored this prejudicial attitude, the whoever would have never been invited in. And this was the point of Peter's vision in verse 15. The voice came to Peter a second time. What God has made clean, do not, call do not call common. In other words, the food that he saw in his vision was a parable for a greater spiritual reality. That God was overturning the old order. The old laws that separated Jew from Gentile were now being replaced and removed by the gospel revolution. And notice verse 16 this word from heaven came to Peter three times. Three times. Peter, rise, kill, eat. Peter, rise, kill, eat. Peter, rise, kill, eat. Friends, have you ever noticed in Peter's life when God wants to get Peter's attention, right? He tends to speak to Peter three times. I mean, Peter was a stubborn dude. He, he was one of those hard-headed guys that needed, you know, constant reaffirmation of God's truth. Right? And so here again, three times God says to Peter, rise, take and eat. God wanted Peter to know that something revolutionary was taking place in his plan of salvation. That God's gift of grace is offered to all. It's free to all, to whoever. But unfortunately, friends, this, this lesson that God was teaching Peter that morning is a lesson that God's people have continued to struggle with throughout history. I heard a story just this week about Mahatma Gandhi, the, the famous freedom fighter of the, the Indian people during the British colonization. Mahatma Gandhi had studied at, uh, at Oxford in London, England. And while he was there studying at Oxford, he had been exposed to the New Testament. And, and he came to fall in love with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Mahatma Gandhi read the New Testament and he read these amazing teachings of, of, of love for all and grace for all and, and brotherhood for all found in the teachings of the New Testament. And so Mahatma Gandhi thought maybe Jesus Christ is the answer to all that separates my people back in India. The caste system that divides people. Maybe Jesus can, can bring unity to my people. And so Mahatma Gandhi, he ventured to a church one Sunday morning seeking out a relationship with Jesus, seeing Jesus as the answer to all of his spiritual longings and the hope for his people back in India. And Mahatma Gandhi went to a church in England and as he walked up the steps into the church, the ushers of the church saw him enter that morning and the ushers pulled him aside and, and they said to him, Sir, you, you, you might be more comfortable this morning worshiping with your own people. Worshiping with your own kind. And Mahatma Gandhi left the church that morning and he vowed to himself, he said, if, if this is what Christianity produces, if Christianity has a caste system just like Hinduism has a caste system, then why bother with it? And he never ultimately turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Friends, in our sinfulness, it can be easy to look down upon or even disparage those who are different from us. Whether it's racially, economically, religiously, politically, it's easy for us to look down upon those 
who are different. And friends, that attitude is sinful. And sadly, what happens is when we look at the world through the lenses of our sinful prejudices, we can easily forget the important truth that God's heart is for all people. His love is offered freely to all people. And we are his ambassadors who are called to extend his love to all people. You know, friends, as we think about the application of this passage this morning, we we need to ask ourselves, who are the Gentiles in our world today? Who who are the, the Gentiles in your life? Who are those that you might consider too far from God to be saved? Who are those who who you might consider too far to even care for, period? Maybe it's the homosexual in our community. Maybe it's the Buddhist building a a temple up north of town. Maybe it's the, the Muslim Somali immigrants in Minneapolis. Maybe it's the liberals or the conservatives. Friends, who are those people in your life that you tend to look down upon as too far outside of God's will or God's plan or God's hope or God's salvation? Friends, if we think about our own hearts, I want you to understand if you are at a place in your life where you wrestle with that kind of prejudice, the first step is to ask God's forgiveness to repent of those sinful attitudes and ask God to change your heart. If you harbor this prejudice in your life or harbor bitterness in your heart towards any group of people, friends, ask God to give you his heart for the people of our world, his heart for the lost. Ask him to help you to see those in your life who are difficult to love through the eyes of Jesus. Lord, let me look at that person through your eyes not through my broken, rebellious, prejudicial spirit. And ultimately, friends, ask God to remind you of the truth that the gospel that saved and reconciled you, even when you too were far from God, is the same gospel that God desires to reach everyone in our world with. See, friends, none of us here this morning deserved God's love. But he gave his love freely as a gift of grace because he desires a relationship with each and every one of us. Friends, would we dare withhold that same grace from anyone else? Lord, help us. Help us remove these prejudicial spirits that are so common. Now, I want you to notice, friends, what happened following Peter's vision. We pick up in Acts 10, verse 17 through 23. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision he had seen might mean, behold, these men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So Cornelius' messengers arrive in Joppa. And the Holy Spirit prompts Peter, go. Go and embrace them. Invite them in. Go with them. Now Peter's starting to get the message here. He's seen the vision. Now the Gentiles have showed up at his front door. And God says, go, invite them in. A good Jew would never do that. But now the Spirit's speaking. He's seen the vision. The Spirit's affirming the vision. Peter's starting to get it. Okay, maybe God wants me to reach out to these Gentiles. And so the next day he goes out from Joppa with six witnesses from the church to follow these men to Cornelius' house. Friends, I want you to remember the last time we saw God send a messenger out from Joppa as a witness to the Gentiles. You remember the last time we encountered a messenger sent out from Joppa? It was this past fall in our series through the book of Jonah. You remember that? God sent Jonah down to Joppa to get on a ship to go and witness to the Gentiles. But what did Jonah do? He went the other way. He fled. Because Jonah and his Jewish prejudices didn't think that there was a place for anyone outside of God's family to hear the hope of forgiveness, the hope of repentance. Peter also was in Joppa. But Peter, instead of disobeying, Peter obeys the call to go. And as we're going to see in a minute, Peter would go to the Gentiles. And God would bless Peter's going, and he would reap an incredible bounty of fruitful ministry to the Gentiles. And it all started with his obedience. Friends, obedience makes all the difference. We might not always understand the call God puts on our lives, but when we step out in faith and obedience, God blesses that obedience. And we will reap a bounty of, of a harvest of faithfulness because God honors our obedience when he calls us. It's interesting, this past week I was having breakfast with Nathan Pino. He's one of our church missionaries, Nathan and Christina Pino. They're down in Panama. About five years ago, God called their family down to Panama with, with a mission organization that, that uh, they were excited about, they were thrilled to, to go and serve with. But after about a year or two of serving there, they, they began to run into all kinds of conflicts within this particular mission team they were a part of. Poor leadership, lack of motivation, lack of desire, I mean, lack of support, and they were floundering. And, and they were wrestling with, Lord, why did you call us to Panama? We thought this was a clear call. They were ready to throw in the towel and come home. Pastor Rick and I counseled them, encouraged them, you know, tried to cheer them on, keep going, trust God through this. They eventually switched mission organizations. They, they went to work with Youth with a Mission. And in that time, God has put them in a new setting in Panama on the Mosquito Coast, serving indigenous people on the islands outside of Panama who have no gospel witness, who have no access to health care. And Nathan and Christina, who are both trained EMTs and nurses, are in just this incredibly sweet spot where they're able to use their gifts and their calling, and they're having an incredible harvest reaching lost people with the hope of the gospel. 
And it's interesting, they look back on that whole episode and, and they see their original mission team, which has now fallen apart. It's not even in country anymore. And they see how God walked them through that trying time and brought them to a new organization, a new mission, a new area, a new calling. And God is just rewarding them, blessing them because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness. Friends, that's the way the Lord works. We don't always understand the calling he gives us. We don't always understand the trials that we need to walk through. But when we continue to follow God in obedience, he rewards us by letting us be a part of his incredible work and his blessings of advancing the gospel in this world. Well, the second chapter that we see here in our passage this morning, we've seen a surprisingly savory sight. Secondly, we see a supreme savior story. We're going to pick up in verse 24 through 33. So Peter goes with, with these people to Joppa. Some of the brothers from the church accompanied him. On verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What an awesome encounter. Here in verse 33, Cornelius has gathered his entire household, his family, his friends. God had been preparing their hearts to receive the gospel. And now here they are all gathered, waiting, ready to hear the message that Peter has to share with them. Friends, remember we talked about this last week. Cornelius was a devout man. He, he, was, he was a Gentile, but he feared the God of Israel. He longed to have what the Jewish people had, but he couldn't because he was a Gentile. But here, the angel tells Cornelius, God heard your prayers. And now I'm sending you Peter, who's going to tell you the message that you need to hear in order to have a true and right relationship with me. See, friends, as we talked about last week, if someone is genuinely seeking God, God will make sure they get the message they need to hear in order to be saved. God won't let anyone who is responding to his general revelation, the reality of a God who exists, God will not let anyone who is seeking to know him die without a chance to hear the news that they need to hear in order to be saved. And friends, what is that news? What is that essential message? That essential message people need to hear in order to be saved. Verses like Acts 4.12, there, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, only the name of Jesus. 
Verses like John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verses like Romans 10, 17, where the Apostle Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, you need to hear the word of Christ in order to embrace the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. How are you going to hear unless someone goes, Paul says in, Acts, in Romans chapter 10? Right? But faith comes by hearing. Okay? You need to hear and embrace the message of the gospel. That's your only hope. Okay? There's no other way to salvation. Okay? There's no one in this world who is going to be in heaven apart from receiving the good news of the gospel, the promise of salvation that comes by embracing Jesus Christ as our Savior. People need the gospel. And so as God did with Cornelius and his family, he will make sure that anyone genuinely seeking him gets the message they need to hear in order to be saved. Christianity Today magazine, this month's issue, has an incredible story about these missionaries to, to a tribe in Brazil in the Amazon jungle, that, a group of people that had never been reached. They lived in this remote lake that was like, it was like a five-day riverboat tour from the largest city, five-day five riverboat cruise. You, got out, you go five days, then you get on canoes. You canoe for another two days down this tributary. Then you hike for a couple days into the darkness of the jungle to this lake where this village lived on stilts, hut, stilt huts to, to protect themselves from the flooding. These people had never had a gospel witness before. Well, these missionaries heard about them. They sold all their possessions, two men, two women, loaded up canoes with all the supplies they could buy. Their goal was to go to this village, set up houses there, provide food, medicine, education, and hopefully ultimately have a chance to share the gospel with these people. But they didn't know if they would be received. They didn't know anything that lay in store for them. Well, in the article, they tell the story of this, I mean, incredibly perilous journey just to get to this remote tribe. They finally get to this remote tribe. They paddle their canoes up to the steps of one of these huts that's built 10 feet above the lake. They're greeted at this hut by this old lady, and she welcomes them in like she's their grandma or something, right? She's just, she can't speak their language, but she's just, come on in, you know? And she lays out this whole spread of food for these missionaries, and they're thinking, what in the world's going on here? Well, pretty soon she's out yelling and the whole village comes to her hut. And now her hut is packed full with all these villagers and they're all there sitting around these missionaries eating a meal together and they're all excited, they're all cheerful, right? Well, it turns out there's one guy in this village who speaks some broken Portuguese. And he had been a guy who would travel to the main branch of the Amazon River and do trading, trading missions for his people. Well, this guy, a few years earlier, had been to this outpost village on the Amazon River. He had heard a shortwave radio broadcast in Portuguese talking about a God of the universe who loves all people. And that's all he understood. There's a God who loves everyone. And so he went back to his tribe, told them what he heard on the radio, and he said to his tribe, look it, if this is true... If there's a God who loves everyone, he is going to send somebody so that we can know him. So when these missionaries paddled up, they embraced them, they welcomed them. They had already built two huts for them to live in. They had built another hut for them to do schooling and medicine, whatever their needs were. They had prepared the whole way. 
In other words, God had prepared the whole way. Because God will not let anyone perish who is genuinely seeking him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. All right? Stories like this happen over and over again. Because God has a heart for people. And people need the gospel. And God will make sure they get the gospel if they're truly pursuing him. Now, friends, I just want to add a quick little side note on Cornelius. And this is for all the dads here in the room this morning. Okay? Verse 24 and 33 tell us Cornelius gathered his family. He brought his whole household together to sit at the feet of Peter to hear the message that Peter had to share. Friends, remember who Cornelius was. Cornelius was a warrior. He was a centurion. He was a soldier in the Roman army. And here is this soldier, this warrior, this leader of men bringing his family together to make sure that all of them had the chance to hear God's message through the Apostle Peter. Dads out there, what a model for us today. We need more centurions in the church today. We need men in the church today who, like Cornelius, are warriors on behalf of their family, fighting for their family, fighting to bring them to the feet of Jesus, to hear the message that they need to hear. What a model for us, friends. Fathers, I just need to say to you this morning, if pursuing God is not your priority, like Cornelius' priority, then you got to know it's very unlikely that it's going to be your family's priority. If it's not your priority, it's very unlikely it's going to be your family's priority. And if you're not pursuing God, don't be surprised when your kids don't pursue him either. And don't think they won't go off and worship nothing. Everyone worships something. And if you're not like Cornelius leading your family to the worship of the one true God, don't be surprised when they go and worship other things. Money, sex, popularity, sports, hobbies, body image, clothing, whatever. They will worship. And so this is why it's on us as men to be centurions, to be warriors for our family, warriors for Christ that fight for our family's commitment to Jesus. Friends, we need faithful men in the battle. Men just like Cornelius. And there are some single moms here in our church who need you to be a centurion for her and for her kids. We can't leave them behind either. How many centurions do we have here at Lakes Free? What a, what a testament that we see here in this God-fearing Gentile. Well, I want to look at the message Peter shared with Cornelius and his family. Verses 34 to 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Friends, here Peter shared with this group of Gentiles the simple, straightforward truths of the gospel. What what C.S. Lewis once called mere Christianity. This is the core truth. This is the core essence. I mean, we don't have to make it rocket science. Peter gives us the keys here. This is the gospel. Jesus lived. He did miraculous signs and wonders. They hung him on a cross, but he rose from the grave three days later. This is what we were witnesses of. And it was this Jesus that God sent. Why? So that we could have peace with God through Jesus, who is Lord of all. This is the heart of the gospel right here, friends. Acts 10, 36. As for the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what people need. We need peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's our biggest problem in this world, is that we don't have peace with God. We live in rebellion against God. We stray from God. And because God is holy and righteous and we are sinners, we are, we are at war with God. And so we need to have peace with God. How are we going to have peace with God? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ who took our sins and nailed them to a cross, wiping them out, forgiving them, covering them with his shed blood so that we could have peace with God. And friends, when you embrace Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can know his peace. You can know his peace spiritually with God, emotionally, peace with yourself, a contentment in life, Joy, peace, all right, all of that is found in a relationship with Jesus. Peace relationally with others. It's all found in a relationship with Jesus. Friends, do you have peace with God today? You can by embracing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. By asking him to forgive you of your sins and putting your trust in him, you too can have peace with God. Anyone here, whoever, even the Gentiles, Peace with God. And so our third scene, our passage ends this morning with a spirit-filled salvation surprise. Verses 44 to 48, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing themselves speaking in tongues and extolling God. The very same signs that God had given the Jews in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit fell are now being displayed here in these Gentiles. And so Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain with them for some days. Friends, here we see the full extent of the Great Commission being realized. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, you will go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here we see the fulfillment of that. Even the Gentiles received the Spirit. Peter says, how can we withhold water for baptizing these people? The same Spirit in us is alive in them. There are brothers and sisters, even the Gentiles. Friends, this is what ushered us into God's family. 
It was God's embrace of even the Gentiles. And what a privilege we have today. Every single one of us here who's not Jewish, friends, we're all here because of what God has lavished on us, on we Gentiles, his grace, including us in God's family. And as Paul says in Colossians 3.11, because of this, there is not Greek and Jew, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the true revolution of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we have oneness with God and oneness with every single man, woman, and child who calls Jesus Christ their Savior and Lord. Friends, may we never take this incredible privilege for granted. And again, I just want to say, if you are here today and you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you too can become a part of God's family. In John 1, 12, Jesus' disciple John says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Whoever doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God can turn you into his child when you trust in Jesus' name by faith. And friends, for those of us who are here this morning who have experienced God's grace and salvation, listen, may we never forget the great calling and the great responsibility that we share. We are ambassadors of the revolution we carry on the mission that the early church began. May we say, just like our ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, like the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Friends, that's the hope of the world right there. May we never be ashamed May we live faithfully as ambassadors of the revolution, the good news that God's grace has offered freely to all people. Let me close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this passage and the powerful truth of our salvation, the free gift of grace that Jesus offered every single one of us, that your plans and purposes, Lord, were extended to even the Gentiles that we too have now been brought into your family. We thank you for your amazing grace, Lord. I pray that there is not a single soul here this morning who hasn't responded to your amazing grace. I pray if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't put their hope and trust in you, who hasn't turned to you in repentance of their sin and embraced you as their Savior and Lord, that they would not leave here this morning without doing so that they too might know what it is to be called a child of God. And Lord, may you take us as your people and may you use us as your ambassadors and may we never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saved us and the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. May we be faithful, Lord, and triumph in, in, in spreading that truth, Lord. And may your word and your grace triumph for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus in your fame. To you be the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.